mention, um, if you don't use uh, the, the, the church Facebook page, if you hate Facebook, if you despise Facebook, yeah, I get it because it's getting more and more toxic each and every day. But uh, I would encourage you to just be on Facebook anyways, just so you can get church announcements. Don't use it for anything else. Okay. Um, we've been going through some staffing restructuring as a church. And so I had a great time geeking out this week and I'm drawing diagrams and circles on a whiteboard. And I love talking with my hands and I love diagramming church structures and staffing structures. And instead of like repeating that for the next 20 minutes, go watch the Facebook video. Okay. It's on the Facebook page. You'll get updates on the staffing restructuring that we're going through so that we can finish off 2022 strong and, and, and strengthen the ministry for the years ahead. So please double check that out on Facebook. So today we are continuing our sermon series on emotions. And today I, I want to talk about an emotion that is very, very dear to my heart. And it's anger. And the reason why anger is so incredibly dear to my heart is because over the last two and a half years, I have been the angriest I have ever been in my life. It got so bad that I wasn't sleeping at night. I was angry at everything and everybody around me. And I had to go for counseling for it because it was getting so bad. I deleted 1,400 people off my social media friends list because you all were driving me nuts. And not you. You guys all made the list. You're all still on my list, okay? But other people, anger is this weird, crazy emotion. And I, again, and as I, I, I love social media, I unapologetically know I'm completely, totally addicted to social media. I realize that. I probably should get some help. But um, one of the things that I have noticed more and more and more on social media is how incredibly angry everybody is. One of the things, and I don't know if you've seen these, but this is kind of this new thing that I'm seeing all over the place, especially among young people, young adults, teenagers, who are out in society losing their junk, like freaking out in restaurants because someone messed up their order, like throwing food at the staff, like just freaking out, name-calling, mocking people publicly. Like we're seeing people literally, like Canadian politicians going out into the streets to meet people, and whether you agree with politicians or not, but picking up stones and throwing them at them. Like we hear in Japan, a former political leader is assassinated. Like what is going on? Our culture is angry. And the church is not exempt from it. Because again, over the last two and a half years, I think the reason why I struggled with anger so much is because the church was angrier than non-Christians. And some of the worst displays of anger that I have personally seen over the last two years didn't come from my non-Christian friends. It came from my church friends. People who call on the name of Jesus as the name above all names, as Lord of Lords. Some of the angriest displays I have personally seen. And, and we hide behind, as the church, we hide behind the label of, well, this is righteous anger. See, I have righteous anger. And honestly, I don't think we know what that means. 
And, and, and we go, well, I'm angry and I'm living out this godly, righteous anger. And, and so I'm not sinning because it's righteous anger. And the Bible says anger is not sin. And we quote all the time. We quote Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, where it says, in your anger, do not sin, which is actually a quote from Psalm 44. It says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So it says, my anger is not sin. Now, some of us as Christians, we've been angry for years. Years. The little warning in here in Ephesians chapter 4 is don't let the sun go down in your anger. If you're still angry after 24 hours, there's a problem <laughs> that we might need to address. So we sit there as Christians, as a church, we say, anger's not sin. Anger's not sin. But then... Paul, who wrote this Ephesians chapter, also wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the list of sins that the Corinthian church was dealing with and struggling with, and that Paul was calling them to repent of and turn from. And here's the list of sins that he gives in verse 20 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. You know, quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, gossip, conceit, and disorder. So this is Paul, the great apostle who brought the good news of Jesus to non-Jewish people all over the world. In one passage, he says, in your, sin, in your anger, don't sin. We interpret it that anger is not sin. And then to another church, he said over there, you're sinning because of your anger. So which one is it? Is it sin or not sin? That's what I'm hoping that we can figure out a little bit together in our time today. And the way I want to do this, to figure this out, is again, just kind of use the, uh, <laughs> the very, very cliche statement, what would Jesus do? Now, one of my favorite memes of all times, one of my favorite memes, I, I, again, I'm addicted to social media, so I'm on memes all the time and I'm laughing all the time. I think memes are hilarious. One of my favorite ones was kind of this old kind of Rembrandt painting of Jesus in the temple flipping over Jesus with a whip and whipping people. And it says in this meme that sometimes the response to what would Jesus do is grab a whip and whip people and kick tables. Okay. Now, there's a little part of me, honestly, that would love to respond that way. I'd love to go into a room. <laughs> and grab a whip and just drive certain people out and kick over tables and kick over chairs. There, there's something there. And, if, and you're all looking at me like I'm a freak, but some of you are looking at me like, oh, I know exactly what you mean. I would love to whip a whole bunch of people and kick over a whole bunch of tables as well. Right? And so what would Jesus do? Because we're going to look at this story of Jesus displaying anger. And is it sinful? Because we believe as Christians that Jesus did not sin. So let's look at Matthew chapter 21. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to follow along. I'm a big believer that everyone should have a Bible with them and study the Bible, read the Bible. So if you're joining us today and you do not own a Bible, there's a big stack of them in the back of the room over there. When you head out today, please grab one of those. Keep it as our gift to you today. And if you're joining us at Greenbelt online and you do not own a physical Bible, send me an email, kevin at greenbelt.church. would love to get a Bible to you and your family as well. 
So let's read here. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. I'm literally going to read like three verses, verses 12 to 14, talking about Jesus coming into Jerusalem and Jesus coming into the temple. So it says here in Matthew 21, verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame, they came to him at the temple and he healed them. Now, again, this is a short little tiny passage here. And, but here we see something about Jesus that's not the normal characteristics of when we think about Jesus. He's kind of behaving in a way that we've never seen anywhere else in any of the Gospels. That there's this passion there, there's this anger there in how he's dealing with the situation that he finds himself in at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, just to kind of explain where we are in Jesus' ministry here, Jesus has just come into Jerusalem. This is his Passion Week. This is his last week before he is executed, before he dies, before he goes to the cross, before he pays for the sin of all of humanity. When he came into Jerusalem, everyone is praising God and singing Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. And they're praising him. And it's the Palm Sunday picture. They got the palm branches. They're laying them down. Jesus is coming in on a donkey. And everyone is so happy that the king is here in Jerusalem. And then Jesus goes to the temple. Because there's this tradition and this practice in the people of Israel that several times a year, the people of Israel would go to the temple. No matter where you lived, like if you lived in Jerusalem, you went to the temple. If you lived a hundred kilometers away at those festivals, you still went to Jerusalem. Now, traveling a hundred kilometers back in those days is very different than you and I traveling a hundred kilometers today. Like just yesterday, my wife and I, we did a road trip to Montreal, right? Hour and 40 minutes door to door. And we were in Montreal having dinner with some people, and they said, well, where are you guys staying tonight? It's like, staying, I'm driving home. Like, why would I pay for a hotel? It's an hour and 40 minutes. People are like, you're driving an hour and 40 minutes? It's like, it's an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> like, we've got, like, transportation now. We can go anywhere. Like, it's, we don't even think of traveling 200 kilometers. It's a piece of cake, right? Back then, when you and your 17 children are trying to decide to go to Jerusalem, to offer sacrifices to the God on high. And not only are, what does it mean to bring your sacrifices? It means that you bring the best of the best of the best. So your sheep or your goat or your dove or your grain or your fruit, your vegetables, the, you gave God your first fruit. You gave him the best. You didn't give God the leftovers. So, I have to travel 100 kilometers with 17 children and a bunch of goats, a goat for each kid. So I'm bringing like 19 goats with me as well. And they're my best goats with no blemish that are pure so they can be offered up as a sacrifice. Now, you, you guys know this is not possible to do that kind of a trip. So what people would do is they wouldn't bring their own animal with them. They would buy an animal when they show up at the temple. 
Because you couldn't travel carrying all these animals with you to just offer them a sacrifice. So you're going to pick up an animal when you get there. The other thing that would go on is in that region, people use different currencies. And so they would have to exchange their currency. Like, how many of you have like traveled and you've changed money into the local currency? Right? We've all kind of done that when we travel. We take our Canadian dollars and then we kind of transfer it over into other money. I heard years and years ago, like 20 years ago, I was actually on a business trip to Tokyo, Japan. And I went to Tokyo, Japan, and I, and I had no concept of how the yen worked. Because I went to McDonald's, and I think it was like 2.7 million yen for a Big Mac. I don't remember how it was, but it was like just these insane numbers, like, like many zeros at the end of it. And I'm sitting there with my little Visa card, and I'm like, how much is this Big Mac costing me? And a little part of me was wondering, am I being ripped off? Did I just pay $47 for a Big Mac? Like, I have no idea. I have no concept of um, how much money I just spent. Same thing happened to me when our family did a few trips for my parents' wedding anniversary. My parents had their 30th wedding anniversary. We went to Cuba. I had no clue how the, how the money worked there. And I'm sure I got ripped off. I'm sure of it. I'm sh- I, I must have been ripped off. Charging me way beyond what the exchange rate actually was. That's exactly what was going on in the temple of God. Is that people had set up businesses with the intentionality to rip people off. You would show up and you would buy a dove, but it would be a dove with a defect. It wouldn't be the best of the best. It wouldn't be the purest, the cleanest, the best to offer before your God to atone for your sin. Be some lame duck missing a whole bunch of feathers (laughs) that they picked up off the street. You know, there's a dove here, I'll sell this to you. Right, and then the, and the normal price would be like a dollar. So you bring your loony to buy this dove, and the guy says, "Yeah, no, it's actually seventy-five bucks." The markup was through the roof. Right, these people who lived in this day and this age—they're uneducated people, right? They're farmers, they're they're shepherds. They just come take care of their flock. They don't know about exchange rates between Galilee and Jerusalem. They don't know what the Roman exchange rate is for centurion coins. They're being ripped off in the name of God. These are people who love the Lord. And they want to worship God in the way their people have been commanded to worship the Lord. They want to be obedient to the commandments of God. Right? They want to be good people. Before their God. And these good people are being ripped off by greedy, corrupt people. That's what's happening here when Jesus shows up at the temple. And then Jesus drives that out. Because this is not the place to rip off the poor and the broken and the lost and the hurting and the lonely, and the sinner. Get out. We don't do that here. That's a very different posture, I think, than how we tend to use anger. And anger is an emotion that all of us have, 
that all of us can struggle with. I don't care if you're six years old or 66 years old. Anger has a way of creeping in. And we respond in a way that isn't aligned in the mission and values and teachings of Jesus. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit here today. And the big idea that I want you to kind of remember as we look at these three points together today is this, is regardless of, of your background in, in, in Christianity, if you're exploring it, believe in it, don't believe in it, regardless of, of where you land in that, this big idea is so crucial to remember, is ultimately Jesus is known for his love, not his anger. Jesus is known for his love, not his anger. Flipping tables and driving people out, this is a one-time thing. Because Jesus was known for his love. So what does it mean for the church to be angry like the way Jesus is angry? So let me just show you a few observations from this text and from other texts as well to help us get a better biblical understanding of Christian anger. Right, so the first point is this, and I encourage you to jot these down and, and talk about this as a family. Is the first is Jesus was angry on behalf of those who were mistreated. Jesus was angry on behalf of those who were mistreated. And I think that point alone is so absolutely crucial to understand this righteous anger that we like to say we have. <laughs> Jesus is modeling for us here this anger on behalf of other people who are mistreated, the poor, the marginalized, the people who are being taken advantage of in a situation where they can't do anything about it. Like, just think about it for a moment. Imagine if you walked into Greenbelt Church this morning. Right? And I said, man, today as a community, we're, we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to, you know, we're going to remember the, the sacrificial death of Jesus. We're going to take this bread. We're going to take this cup as an important, crucial part of the Christian faith. But before you, I give you this cup, I need you to do an e-transfer of $275 to the Greenbelt Fund. The deacons go, hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> and before I give you this little cup, I need to see your e-transfer receipt of $275. Okay, cool. There you go. And his dad just went, great, get a job. Okay. And it's like, that's taking advantage of people, right? This is what's going on here. So it's, so, it's fascinating that Jesus's anger is because of how the other person is treated. What we never see throughout the entire ministry of Jesus is him being angry over how he was treated. Ever. You never see Jesus angry at how he was treated. He's mocked. He's arrested. He's beaten. He's nailed to a cross. And then says these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, like you would think <laughs> if I'm being arrested for something I didn't do, I could be, I could pretty much guarantee there's going to be some angry Facebook posts. <laughs> or Twitter. Twitter's even more toxic than Facebook. Oh my 
goodness, Twitter is like a cesspool of toxic, right? But boy, if I got arrested for something I didn't do, I'm going to be pretty angry. And I'm going to want justice. And I want someone to pay for this. Jesus doesn't actually do that. Right? So we've got to be very, 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 very careful on how we use the term righteous anger. Because sometimes our anger is not very righteous. It's not about the other person. It's about me. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I desire. I'm not getting what I think I deserve. Or maybe you are getting what you deserve and you don't like the consequences of it. See, our anger tends to be very self-focused on me. Jesus' anger isn't. In fact, it's the exact opposite. See, and this is why it's so important to realize this, to evaluate where is our anger coming from. Right? Because in James chapter 1, verse 20, the apostle James says these words. He says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you're labeling your anger as righteous anger because you don't like what's happening to you, it's possible. I'm not saying it's always the case because sometimes we're abused and we're hurt and we're wounded by other people and their sin and there's justice that needs to happen there. But we have to really evaluate where the source of our anger is coming from. Because the Bible flat out tells you the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You're self-righteous. Okay? It's not other people focused. Right? One of the ways that personally, again, how I've been evaluating this in my own life. You know, I just ask myself simple questions when I'm feeling angry. Like when I read something on Facebook, why is this ticking me off so much? Why is this person just triggering me? So like, where is this anger coming from? Right? And, then I, and then I kind of remind myself, well, this is about me. <laughs> My reputation, <laughs> how other churches see me, how our denomination leaders see me, how you see me. <laughs> That's what's getting me angry, my reputation. And if it's I'm all worried about my reputation, maybe there's a problem because <laughs> who cares? <laughs> who cares if I'm this leader of influence in the city? Who cares if my denomination thinks I'm the, the best and I should call Kevin when we need help? Who cares? <laughs> Well, I do. <laughs> That's the problem, right? When we get angry about stuff, like, and again, I was actually reading an article about this, a Christian article, and I forgot to write down who wrote it, so my apologies, I can't quote them. But it said things like, were you more angry about having to wear a mask to church than the fact that kids die in this world from starvation? Think about that. Did wearing a mask to church upset you more than tens of thousands of children dying daily in the world? There might be a problem. Right? This whole vaccine thing, did that upset you more than the fact that there are brothers and sisters in Christ in the world today who are murdered for their faith? What is upsetting you? <laughs> Right? Jesus' anger is never self-serving. So we've got to be mindful of that. Is our anger 
self-serving or is it other people focused? Am I angry on behalf of the marginalized and those who are being taken advantage of? That's what Jesus models. Second thing that we see from this story here in Matthew chapter 21 is when Jesus got angry, um, he flipped tables and not people. I stole that from someone else. Don't give me any credit for that. I heard someone else say that, and it's like, that that will preach. That's hilarious. Jesus didn't flip people. He flipped tables. Right? And it's fascinating watching anger play out in the Christian culture. I'm not even talking about the non-Christian culture. Like, I've been talking with a number of leaders in, in churches, a number of pastors, and, and the anger that they have been experienced personally in their leadership over the past two and a half years. They said they seminary didn't prep them for this. Life didn't prep them for this. They make a decision as a leader. It's like, okay, well, at our church, we're going to, you know, follow all of the COVID guidelines. We're going to wear masks. And we're going to do the distancing. We're going to do this. People left their church in anger. You're a horrible heretic, and you don't believe in the word of God. And then the same people said, you're not doing enough. We should shut down the doors completely. So you just upset everybody over every decision that you make. So much anger. So much anger that they were dealing with. But it was personal attacks against these leaders, against these pastors, against these brothers and sisters in Christ. We attack personally. You're no good. You're a heretic. You're a sheeple. You're this, you're that. You know, this whole cancel culture that we live in today, I think a lot of people like to say cancel culture is just a left thing. (laughs) We as Christians cancel people all the time too. Okay? It's a sin thing. (laughs) Right? We got to be very careful that we're not flipping over people. We're flipping over tables. See, and what does the table represent? It's fascinating when you kind of study this. The table is something that's not supposed to be there. Those tables are not supposed to be there. When you go back into your Old Testament and you study how the temple was designed, like the Bible gives us clear instructions. God gave instructions. Here are the exact measurements I want. I want the inner court, the outer court. I want the holy place, the most holy of holy place. I want the curtains. I want the lampstands. I want the flames and the fire and the smoke machines and the laser lights. No, that's just Kevin's wish list for our church one day. One day. day. Anyways, but God is very, very clear on his instructions. There's no table in the court to sell anything, to take advantage. The table represents something that's not supposed to be there. And in our sinful, broken world, there are so many things in this world that just shouldn't be there. The injustices in the world, the pain in the world, the sorrow in the world, the manipulation of people, the taking advantage of people. That wasn't supposed to be there. right? So Jesus actually models for us as Christians to deal with the system It's a system problem, not a people problem. Because again, the Bible's hugely clear on this in Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our problem is not people. It's the system that people live in. 
But our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. <laughs> right? So the church, me, you, our call is not to go around flipping over people. It's to deal with the problem, the sin problem, the system problem that allows people to keep living this way. We have a systems problem. We have a sin problem. We don't have a people problem. Because this is what's fascinating about this, is that these money changers and these people that are selling doves are the exact people Jesus came to save. They're the reason Jesus showed up. To deal with sin. To set sinners free from their greed and their manipulation, and they're taking advantage of people and showing them a better way. <laughs> because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the third thing here where we see in this text where we see Jesus, when Jesus got angry, he loved and he healed those who were hurting. Like, look at how this, like, just in these three verses here. So you got angry Jesus flipping over tables, driving these manipulators out of the temple. And then the very next verse, verse 14, doesn't say that Jesus was arrested for doing what he did. Because deep down, the religious leaders knew the system was broken and wrong. And he came in with an authority to show the world his love. Because Jesus is known for his love, not for his anger. Right? And we see this here in, in chapter 21, verse 14 of Matthew's gospel. It says, the blind and the lame came at, to him at the temple and he healed them. That's the very next verse. It's flip over a table and heal. Deal with the system that's keeping people from God. Deal with the system that man, this isn't supposed to be here. Get this out and now love people. Bring healing in the name of Jesus. Bring hope in the name of Jesus. Bring reconciliation with God the Father in the name of Jesus. Right? That's the ministry of Jesus. His anger is never directed at the sinful, hurting, broken, lost people. It's directed at those who manipulate, who take advantage of the poor, the brokenhearted. Right? And what's fascinating, what I love as we study the ministry of Jesus, is we see how Jesus never gives up on anybody. Anybody. Jesus never gave up on me. Danielle and I, we were at, again, like I said, we were in Montreal just last night. And it was Danielle's uh, high school reunion. It was her fifth year high school reunion. So... <laughs> I figured I better not say the number. You're in the room today. So normally you're not in the room. You're normally serving somewhere else. I'm not saying when my wife graduated from high school. But actually, I'm sitting across from this guy who I've never met before. I'm the plus one, so I've got nothing to lose. right? I'm just going to say anything to anybody, and I'm just going to preach the gospel wherever I can. I actually, some dude asked me, how did you come to know Jesus? Oh, nice! No one ever asks me that! <laughs> And I explained to him that I actually grew up in an incredibly strict, strict, strict religious environment where all of us learned as small children that God hates you. 
because I couldn't sit still. My ADHD and my attention deficit and everything else that I have, uh, school was a miserable experience for me. And the nuns would take their ruler out, put your hand on the table, Kevin, and hit it and hit it and hit it till you cried. That was back in the 70s, kids, the different day. <laughs> we weren't in charge then. <laughs> okay, now you are. Okay, but uh, it was a different world. And uh, we, we all grew up, God hates you. And then I actually shared with this guy in Montreal last night that I actually read the Bible for the first time in my entire life in my mid-20s. Because I was going to disprove the love of God. And I read the Bible, and it wrecked me. That God never gave up on me. In my sin, in my pride, in my lust, in my anger, in my arrogance, in all the sin that I knew I had, God loved me. He loved me so much he sent Jesus to die for me. And that I could be made right with God, not by keeping all these rules and all these regulations. Like, it was funny. It came up last night over dinner. I said, well, what kind of robe do you wear when you preach your sermon? You know, like, how do you pick the color and the pattern on your robe? And I'm like, I just try to make sure my jeans are clean. <laughs> That's kind of my dre- getting dressed, you know, process in the morning. It's like Danielle looks at me and goes, you can't wear those. Those are dirty. Or they got rips. And they're like, well, I can't wear ripped jeans to church. I'm going, you do. Why can't I wear <laughs> Rip jeans to church. I'm trying to explain this to this guy who's never set foot in a Christian church before, right? And, but it's like, it's not about the rules. It's Jesus came to flip the table. Jesus came to get rid of the thing that was keeping us far from God. He came to give us himself to die for us so that we could be known by God and we could experience personally the love of God forever. And so maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching us at Greenbelt Online, and you've never accepted that love. I'm here to tell you it's actually really easy. There's no class. There's no, like, course. There's not, I don't expect you to clean up your life first, and then you're welcome here. Everyone is welcome here. Because Jesus welcomes everybody. <laughs> he welcomes everybody. Because we're all in the same boat where we all had sin that has to be dealt with. And we can be set free from our sin just by simply praying, Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I accept his gift to pay for my sin, come into my life, and make me new. And if you do that today, the Bible says you're new. You're set free from your sin. And now you are part of the family of God. And then that's why we take communion together as the family of God. To remember that it's the blood of Jesus, that it's the body of Jesus that saves us from our sin. Is There is, and as we study scripture a little bit more, anger is a very, very big topic. And we start getting into what about God's anger against sin? Yes, that is a thing. But it was dealt with on the cross. God's wrath against sin is complete on Christ. The mission of the church is not to continue to be in the world bringing the wrath of God. If you think that's your mission, let's set up an appointment and let's talk. Because I could show you from the Bible, it ain't. I don't know if that's good English. Okay? The mission of the church is not to continue the wrath of God into the world. The wrath of God was dealt with on the cross. That all the sins of humanity were dealt with at that point. 
And the mission of the church is to point people to Jesus. (laughs) That the tables have been flipped. (laughs) That God's anger has been dealt with (laughs) because of the body and the blood of Christ. So if you're here today or if you're joining us at home, hopefully you grabbed some bread and some juice. But this is kind of for us as Christians. If you're joining us today and you've never kind of accepted Jesus as Lord, that's awesome that you're here. I'm so grateful that you're here. Don't feel that you need to do this. Okay, this isn't for you. Don't, don't feel like it's all, everyone's looking at me if I don't do it. They're not. They're too busy dealing with their own hearts today. They're not looking at you. Right? But we take this as an act of remembrance. That Jesus dealt with things in my life. He flipped over the tables to get to me because I was hurting. I was broken. I was lost. I was marginalized. I was a victim. Not of people, but of these principalities, of these dark forces, these spiritual forces in the heavenly realms kept me far from God. But praise be to God that Jesus came. So let's just take this cup together today. Uh, It's broken in two little uh, areas here. The first has got a little clear film. You pull that back and it pulls out the wafer here. And this represents the bread. I miss the days when I used to rip open loaves of bread and then all of our grubby hands would be all over the bread together. We don't do that anymore. That's why we do it like this, (laughs) this post-COVID thing. Oh, don't get angry about that, Kev. It's okay. (laughs) But this represents the body of Christ that was broken for your sin. (laughs) That God's anger against the sin that you and I have committed has been fully dealt with because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So let's do this in remembrance of him. And then the second part of this cup, it's just some juice. I would encourage you to give it a shake. Sometimes it settles. And it feels a little funny if you get a gulp of what settles. <laughs> and, um, but this represents the blood of Jesus. But the Bible teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so because of sin, all of us deserved to have our blood shed. But because God is love, he shed his own blood instead of ours to pay for that sin. So let's just take this cup in remembrance of the blood of Jesus. So Jesus is known for his love. Jesus is known for his love, not for his anger. What are you known for? What is Greenbelt Church known for? What is the church in Ottawa known for? What is the church around the world known for? Are we known for our love in our families, our schools, our workplace? our communities, or are we known for our anger? If we're known for our anger, I would encourage you this week to talk to someone. Like I did, I got counseling. I'm a big believer in Christian counseling because I was angry. And the Bible says, don't let the sun go down. So I was like, well, I've had this for about three months now. So the sun went down a lot. <laughs> Okay, 
Deal with your anger. Don't hide behind some label of righteousness when the Bible tells you it ain't. When you're living out a way that doesn't model the ministry that Jesus models for us, we need to deal with that because we have a very, very angry world that is looking to the church, looking to you. You have very angry family members looking to you as someone who is different, (laughs) someone who has met with Jesus, someone who has given their life to Jesus. And are you known for love or are you known for anger? And now if things in this world, the tables that shouldn't be there, make you angry, do something about it. If the injustices of the world are upsetting you, the way people, you know, people of different race and nationalities are treated, people with different you know, behavior, or education, or mental capacities, or physical ailments, if those things bother you, do something about it. If the way certain people are treated around the world, do something about it. How widows and orphans are treated, do something about it. Don't just whine about it on Facebook. So sick of Christians whining on social media, and I know you're not doing anything. Let that anger spur you to action. Could be anything. Marriages that are breaking down because of pornography. Fight against pornography. Fight against racism. Fight for the unborn. Fight against human trafficking. Let that anger, short term, 24 hours before the sun goes down, let that anger fuel what God might be calling you to be a blessing in this world, to show his love to the people who are hurting. So let's pray. God, I'm so incredibly grateful for your deep, complete love. Love that I didn't earn. Love in my sin I didn't deserve. And so, Father God... I would ask that you would use each and every one of us who profess the name of Jesus. I know we all struggle with anger. We're all human. There are things that happen in this world that hurt us, that upset us, that make us angry. But help us to evaluate those things that are making us angry. Am I angry because of how this wounds me personally? If that's the case, God bring healing into my life. If I need to have reconciliation with people, bring reconciliation, help to foster healthy relationships with people. And if that can't happen, God, then just help me to let it go. To not hang on to any kind of bitterness that would give the devil a foothold in my life. But God, if those tables, those injustices that are in the world, if those are the things that are upsetting me, then God, use me for your glory. Help me to figure out my part, my role in bringing your love to the hurt, and to the lost. As the Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, fill this place and answer the questions that we have about our own anger for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.